0: i 'm going to break one of the cardinal rules of preaching today i 'm going to talk about food uh, it 's a bad idea when you 're preaching. They say you should avoid talking about food because mid morning when the sermon gets boring or if the sermon gets boring, I should say uh, people will naturally want to think about lunch, so talking about food just gets everybody 's mind off the subject at hand on to lunch but i 'm going to take the risk today i 'm feeling risky and uh, I'm going to talk about food, so if you see somebody drooling near you, you can give them a sharp elbow, get them back on track. But uh, This morning, we start a brand new series we're calling, Can You Relate?, And it's a series all about relationships. Each week of this series, we'll be exploring a different relationship. Each of us has relationships. Uh, We have relationships that are good. We have relationships that are not as good and uh, relationships that might need some help. And over the course of this series, we're going to be looking each week at different relationships. And each week, we'll be looking at uh, the Bible to find some timeless principles that can guide our relationships. And as we begin to explore the complex world of relationships... I want us to start today with the most important relationship that there is, the relationship that defines and clarifies all our other relationships, and I'm talking about our relationship with God. Of course, the the most important part about having a relationship with God is having a relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, he says. So if you don't hear anything else, if you've already tuned out because you're thinking about lunch, then uh, at least hear that much. Uh, Jesus is the way to have a relationship with God. But but given that, many of us here have a relationship with Jesus. And yet we know that maintaining that relationship is not always easy. What is easy is taking that for granted, uh, taking God for granted, losing sight of the amazing blessings that come from a relationship with God through Jesus What's easy for us is complacency and resting and refusing to be challenged and taken out of our comfort zone. But having a relationship with God very often means we are challenged. We are taken out of our comfort zone. It means we are called to do hard things. We're led into action. We're led into situations where we can serve the Lord in ways that we never expected. And if we're followers of Jesus, we should model our relationship with God on the kind of relationship that Jesus himself has with God the Father. Because Jesus was never complacent. He never shied away from challenge. He was always willing to go and engage and serve God no matter what. So following Jesus means we're giving ourselves to a life of adventure and challenge and risk. But for many of us, words like adventure or challenge or risk, they don't really describe our relationship with God. For a lot of us, we've let that kind of relationship with God be replaced by something much, much less than that. We're not hungry for an active, vibrant relationship with God. So as we begin this new series this morning, we're beginning by reevaluating our own relationship with God. What words would you use to describe your relationship with God? Think about that for a moment. Does your pursuit of God look like the unrelenting pursuit that Jesus has as he follows God? Or have you lost your hunger and your passion? We're going to begin this morning by recapturing or maybe grasping for the very first time what it looks like to live with God with urgency, with hunger. And we're going to do it today by looking at a sandwich. A sandwich. We're going to be in the book of Mark today, the gospel of Mark, and we'll be looking at one particular verse, but in order to make that verse really come alive for us, we're going to be looking at, at most of the chapter, chapter 6. So if you have a, a print Bible, you can just keep it open in your lap, we'll be looking at different parts of Mark chapter 6. Uh, the key verse for us, the key verse that really helps us in our relationship with God is Mark 6 verse 30, it says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In this passage, we see Jesus' own advice, his own counsel to the apostles as to how they should relate to God. They've, they've come to him, they've been engaged in some exciting, meaningful ministry, and Jesus has some relationship advice for them, guidance for how they should relate to God. And yet we can't help notice that, that Jesus' advice to the disciples seems to be completely opposite of keep hustling and stay hungry, right? These disciples have been working hard, and now Jesus doesn't say, hey, great work, here's your next assignment. He doesn't say, keep working hard. Instead, he says just the opposite. He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So what happened that would make Jesus give such advice? Well, a sandwich happened. Let's look at the larger context. Verse 30 starts off by telling us, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So Jesus had, had sent the disciples out, now they're back. They've been out doing ministry apart from him, and now they return, they report to Jesus. But in order to find out about their trip, we've got to go back almost to the very beginning of the chapter, all the way back to verse 7. Look at, at verse 7 briefly. Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. So so Jesus sends his disciples out to do some ministry on their own, apart from him, apart from his guidance. And Mark's description of their ministry is kind of short on detail. But he does tell us a couple interesting things. He mentions that Jesus gives them authority. Specifically, verse 7 tells us they have authority over unclean spirits, demonic spirits. So their ministry was, was going to be accompanied by some pretty amazing things, it would seem. They have authority. And let me just stop right there and say that authority, that's the same commission that Jesus gives us, right? Many of us are familiar with what's called the Great Commission, but let's remind ourselves how that commission starts. After Jesus' resurrection, he's ready to leave his disciples, he's ready to ascend into heaven, and he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We have authority From Jesus. And with his authority, we're sent. Sent out into the world, just like we see the disciples here in Mark 6, sent out with authority. And that should impact our relationship with God. In fact, that should define our relationship with God. We're empowered by him. And we're sent by him. We should be empowered with his authority to go, to take risks, to live out an active faith, to make disciples following in the footsteps of Jesus himself. So that authority, it's one thing that Jesus gives his disciples here as he sends them out. Jesus gives them some other instructions, and then off they go. But then Mark gives us a very brief summary of their mission trip. Look at verse 12. So they went out, and they preached that people should repent They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. And just a quick word I want to say about this verse. If you were here at Christmas time a couple weeks ago, we talked about the message that John the Baptist preached and that Jesus himself preached. And here we see the disciples preaching that very same message. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Uh, It's just a bonus, has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. A little little freebie there. But this, this verse, verse 12, this is all we get about their trip no idea how successful it was, no discussion of if they made any converts or if they got kicked out of towns, nothing like that. If a, if a missionary came to Trinity and shared a report like that, we'd probably stop sending them money. We'd say, we, we want more information, you know? We wouldn't send them back out on the field. This is all we get, right? The very next verse is a completely different story about King Herod and John the Baptist. We'll talk about that other story in just a bit when we get to the part about food. But But we see down in verse 30 that Mark picks back up with the story of Jesus and his disciples and their mission trip. Look at verse 30 again. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they they share their report with Jesus, they share all the things that they had done and taught, and while we don't get the details of that report, we can get a sense of how successful their trip was. We can guess at how effective their teaching and ministry was because we see so many people coming now and going, they don't even have a chance to stop and eat. So the work they've done, it, it was helpful, it was effective. They've at least piqued some people's curiosities. Folks want to come and learn more about Jesus, and that's good. They've got even more ministry to do now, which is a sign that they were doing some some great things. All in all, we could say their relationship with God must be pretty good because they're doing wonderful ministry. God is using it. That's great. And yet notice how Jesus responds. Like we said, Jesus doesn't immediately launch them into more ministry. In fact, he does the opposite. He prevents them from doing ministry. All these people are coming and going, and he says a command to them that's just the opposite. He says, Come with me by yourselves, to a quiet place and get some rest. He tells them what they need is some time alone with God. Some rest and some prayer. So Jesus wisdom for his disciples teaches us a very important principle when it comes to our relationship with God. Prayer and successful ministry go hand in hand. For Jesus there's a strong connection between prayer and successful ministry. But not necessarily the connection we might think. I mean, for us, we think, well, the connection is that prayer drives successful ministry. You can't have success without some prayer, things like that. And that's true. Before we try to do any ministry here, we should pray. In fact, at Trinity, uh, we have people who pray uh, every single Sunday before our services. Our pastors and elders, we've got a, a standing appointment to pray each Sunday before our services. Our worship team gathers to pray before we do any ministry each week. So, yes, prayer should be the driver for successful ministry. But that's not the lesson that Jesus teaches here. Here, Jesus calls his disciples away because he wants them to understand that successful ministry, successful work, should make us more hungry for God. He sends the disciples away to pray so that they can be re centered, reinvigorated, re established in their relationship with God. They've just done this amazing stuff uh, healing people, driving out demons. They need to rest from that and they need to re energize and refocus. They need to build back up their appetite. And all too often, when we do something for God, when we have successful moments in our lives and our work, we're hungry for more. But we're not hungry for more God, we're just hungry for more success. We're hungry for more of our own work, done in our own way, with our own skills. We neglect the authority of God and the relationship he wants to have with us. So, so Jesus calls them away so that they can build up an appetite, not for more work, but for, not for more of their own effort, but so they can build up an appetite for more of God. Successful ministry should make us more hungry for God. But remember, Mark, the author, does something unusual here. He starts the story of these disciples being sent out, and then he stops the story. He tells a completely different story, and then he goes back to the first story. If you look at verses 7 through 13, that's the story of the disciples being commissioned and sent by Jesus. Then in verses 14 through 29, Mark launches into this story about John the Baptist and King Herod. But right after that, verse 30, we jump right back to the disciples reporting to Jesus the ministry that they completed. So I told you we'd talk about food. I told you we'd learn what it means to really hunger after God by looking at a sandwich, and and now's the time for that. What Mark does here is something he does all throughout his gospel. Scholars call it a Markan sandwich. Mark frequently starts one story or event, what we might call the bread, and then inserts another story or event, the meat, and then goes back to the first story, the bread, right? This, this sandwich technique, it involves starting a story, kind of pulls you in a little bit, Then switches to another storyline before you come back and finish the first story. You see this thing all the time in uh, movies, too. A film will start with one story or one character, and then it jumps over to to introduce another character. Uh, You see it a lot in the new Star Wars movie. I won't ruin it for you, but it happens a lot in that movie. Uh, If you ever watched Seinfeld on TV, very frequently used in Seinfeld to put different storylines alongside each other. But in the gospel, Mark uses this, this Marken sandwich all the time. The most obvious example, the easiest one to see, uh, is back just one chapter, Mark 5. If you flip back a chapter, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. In Mark 5, verse uh, 21, this man named Jairus comes to Jesus and begs him for mercy. His daughter's dying. He asks Jesus to heal her. Then right away, before we find out what happens with her, Mark tells the story in verse 25 of this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus heals her. And then right at the end of that story, verse 35, it jumps back to Jairus and his daughter. It's a sandwich right there. That's the Mark and sandwich. Happens all over the book of Mark. In fact, some people think the entire book is one big sandwich. But here in chapter 6, it happens, what we've been exploring. And Mark uses this sandwich technique for a very specific purpose. He puts two stories together in a sandwich because the two stories interpret each other. And that's exactly the case here in Mark 6. Mark puts the story of the disciples being sent out up against the story of John the Baptist. And the reason for that is because it teaches us something very important about the kind of relationship that we want to have with God, a relationship that's built on hunger for God. So let's look at this sandwich set of stories a little more carefully. Jesus sends out the disciples, he sends them out with authority, verse 7, but he also sends them out with a a warning, you see that in verse 10. And then we shift to the story of John the Baptist. In this middle story, John has been arrested by Herod, and as Herod is having this drunken feast, this young girl comes to dance for him, his stepdaughter in fact, and her dancing pleases Herod and all of his drinking buddies, pleases him so much that he says she can have a special present, anything she wants. And the present she chooses is rather disgusting. She asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So, whatever sandwich appetite you might be working up might be gone now. Sorry about that. But she asks for John's head, and so Herod delivers. He delivers John's head. John the Baptist, this person who prepared the way for Jesus, this person who had incredibly successful ministry, drew all kinds of people to repentance, who changed the whole tone of Israel in preparation for Jesus. This same John is executed at the whim of a teenage girl and a drunken, deranged king. And Mark sandwiches this very tragic story right in between the sending of Jesus' disciples and the return and report of Jesus' disciples, which means that story has something to teach all of us who are disciples. Because all of us are sent in the same manner as these disciples. We've all been given authority by Jesus to go and make other disciples. So this story has something to teach us about our relationship with God. The tragic story of John the Baptist, it it points, first of all, to the execution that Jesus himself will face. The same fate that, that John faced will be faced by Jesus when he's executed on the cross, and maybe you can already tell where this is going for us. That same risk is present for each and every one of us who are disciples. When we go, when we're sent, we should expect nothing less than the treatment that John the Baptist received. Because understand, John didn't do anything wrong. He hadn't sinned. He wasn't being punished. He was successful and faithful in following Jesus, and he was killed. Jesus warns us of the same thing. He tells us, if the world hates you, understand it hated me first. The insertion of John's story into this sandwich of the disciples' successful mission casts the shadow of death over the mission of the disciples. The story reminds all disciples of Jesus that we're sent out into a world that is opposed to the message of Jesus, a world that's hell-bent on that opposition, a world that doesn't even know how desperate it is to hear and understand the gospel message. The insertion of this terrible story about John the Baptist reminds us that Jesus' call to come and follow is really a call to go and to die, to die to self. It means dying to our own wishes, our own desires of what we think our life might look like. Certainly, John the Baptist never hoped his successful ministry would end with him being thrown in prison, and he certainly never imagined that his time in prison would result in his execution on a whim. But following God means death to ourselves, our own dreams surrendered to him, and he uses us however he wishes. Just a little bit later in the book of Mark, Jesus tells these same disciples, if anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. We lose our lives for him. That's what it means to have a relationship with God. We follow and we take up our cross. It's a tool of death. John the Baptist, even Jesus himself, they weren't protected from this kind of life. They weren't immune to a life of risk in following God, and neither are we. If we're disciples, we're sent. And if we're sent, we're sent into a world full of danger and hostility. And if we go, we go with authority. So Jesus teaches us that successful ministry should make us more hungry for God. And Mark, sandwiching these two stories together teaches us another lesson, a lesson about our own relationship with God. The lesson for us is that we can't grow complacent in our relationship with God. We can't sit around and focus on our own comfort. Following God means a life of risk. So this sandwich gives us encouragement to pray. It gives us a sobering warning that even though we're sent with the authority of Jesus, The world is opposed to the message of the gospel. So the sandwich gives us perspective. It gives us perspective to count the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus. But it also gives us another perspective. It helps us evaluate our own relationship with God. If our relationship is not active, if our relationship is not vibrant, if our relationship has no risk, if we're not hungry, then we need to reevaluate our relationship. Jesus calls the disciples to come away and rest because he knows they needed it. What would Jesus call us to? Would he call us to rest because we've been pursuing God so hard, because we've been living with such passion for God, prioritizing his will in our lives? A relationship with God means we're called to do hard things. If we don't need rest, we might not be doing it right. Following Jesus means we take up our cross Each and every day. It means we deny ourselves. It means we lose our lives for his sake. You probably know something of the story of Eric Little, the Scottish athlete who won Olympic gold. He famously refused to run on Sundays. His story is told in the movie Chariots of Fire, if you ever saw that movie. And when Eric Little won gold in the 1924 Olympics, he became a national hero. His faith was the top headline. His conviction about not running on Sundays, and opened all kinds of doors for him to be able to share Jesus with all kinds of people. But for Eric Little, being an athlete was secondary. His relationship with God came first. He left all those open doors behind to go and serve the Lord in rural China. And when the war came, Eric had a chance to leave China, but instead he sent his wife and his children away, and he stayed. He was captured. He was put in a Japanese concentration camp. Under brutal conditions, he still kept his focus on God. Other people who survived the camp, they told countless stories of Eric Little sacrificing for them, encouraging them, ministering to them. Toward the end of the war, the the Japanese found out that he was famous and they made some plans to release him, a little PR move for them. But, but Eric Little chose to stay at the camp and he let a young woman be released in his place. He took up his cross each and every day. That's the kind of relationship with God that he calls each and every one of his followers to. He sends us with authority to go, to live out active faith, to take risks, to die to ourselves so that we can live for him. There's so much great ministry to be done here in this valley. So many opportunities for sent disciples to go and carry the message of the gospel to a hurting world. You know, the, the funny thing is, everybody agrees that the world is broken. I mean, you, you ask anybody, all kinds of people, everybody agrees that there's problems. The world's broken. Now, nobody agrees on how to fix those problems But God knows that his followers, sent with the gospel, that's the only real solution. The world desperately needs disciples who are willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel. Disciples who have counted the cost and who prioritize God in their lives. Let's pray. God, you made the world and everything in it. You are the creator and the sustainer of all things. You are a God who is in need of absolutely nothing. And yet you ask us to participate in your work. You give us authority. All the authority in heaven on earth belongs to you and you give it away. You give us empowerment by your Holy Spirit to go into the world to carry your message. The message of your one and only Son. And... We pray that you would give us courage, Lord. Give us passion. Give us urgency. We know that you've given us what we need to do your work in the world, to take risks for you. So give us the courage, the passion, the urgency to act. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.